Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Distractions. They are everywhere. There's work, kids, sports, schedules, phones, responsibilities, the news, you name it. I don't know if you remember the time we were even worshiping here and a bug got on the projector lens and the worship team's up here playing and we're trying to just focus on the screen, but this huge bug's going across and it just magnifies it, makes it look huge. And doesn't it drive you crazy that despite your best intentions, even for those of us who are trying to pay attention and just focus on worshiping, ah, it's so challenging to stay focused. There are always always so many different competing distractions and so many people and things fighting for your attention. And in fact, I remember talking about the Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. I shared about it in my series last fall, actually, on The Next Right Thing. And what was so interesting about that is it kind of peels back the layers behind social media and talks about how our attention is the product. And one person even said that even that was a little too simplistic, that it's actually our behaviors that flow out of what we've been giving our attention to is the product. That's what businesses are paying billions of dollars for, to be able to manipulate and control and have our attention for what we'll do next. And something else I find really interesting as I was thinking through some of the technology is these companies are starting to build in features like the do not disturb mode and focus modes. And I was thinking, why would they do that? Because don't they want us connected? And then it dawned on me, oh, they're building those in to help us feel like they're helping us to stay focused and get things done, but to also stay connected to their technology. So we can say, oh, it's okay to have all these things because I can just put it on do not disturb. And in fact, when I was up here doing my opening announcements, I forgot to put my watch on do not disturb and I felt Eugene's text come in. and And so I'm not pointing fingers tonight. I'm preaching to myself. I am so connected. I've got my phone. I should take that out of my pocket. I've got my watch, laptops, my home pod at home. Like, it's crazy how connected we are. But I say all this because our attention is under attack. So how do we fight back? How do we deal with distractions? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is dealing with distractions so that we can live a more fulfilling life. And one thing that clearly emerges from our study in the book of Nehemiah that we've been going through is that not just Nehemiah, throughout the whole Bible, if I think about it, life is a struggle from beginning to end. Life continues to throw constant distractions our way to throw us off track, that gets us off track. And I need to give credit to a pastor down in the States by the name of Brian Bill for some of the sermon structure tonight, because like I said, I had a very distracting week, and I loved how he was able to sift through some of this material and structure it in a way that my mind was having a hard time doing. I shared with a few people that every single to-do list, uh, to-do item I had on my list this week resulted in about 10 more. 
So I'd cross one off the list and have 10 more things to do. Then I'd start that one and then 10 more things. And I'm like, man, and it's a short week on top of it. What's going on? But in Ephesians 6.12, Paul warns, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world. There are powers at play beyond what we can see. And we're about to meet some of these powers of darkness in our text tonight as we dig into Nehemiah chapter 6. But you see, the devil has two main ways of working. There's fear and there's flattery. And the first tactic, fear, well, 1 Peter 5.8 says that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then the next tactic of flattery, this can be a little more tricky to detect because 2 Corinthians 11.14 tells us that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He comes with enticing promises and flattering words, and he assures us that what he proposes isn't going to cost us anything. And I find that so interesting because when I think about my distractions, the things that pull me off course easily, it usually comes out of fear or flattery. Fear is not wanting to kind of feel all the feels and the emotions and just like, you know what, I'm just going to avoid that. I'm too afraid to go there or sit with that. And flattery can drive my decisions to start doing more because it will look better if I'm keeping my calendar busy. I think we all struggle with kind of this badge of honor that we wear called busyness. Like, how are you doing? Oh, I've been busy. I've been busy. But perhaps we're allowing the enemy to get a grip, a stronghold in our life. So whatever method the evil one employs, fear or flattery, his aim is to distract and destroy you. So we need to be on guard against each of these approaches. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we are not unaware of his schemes because we know that Satan is both a lion that devours and a serpent that deceives. So tonight is not about removing distractions from your life. Unfortunately, those are always going to be there. But tonight is, is about becoming aware of the distractions and Satan's schemes so that we can continue to live the way we were intended to live which is in a fulfilling relationship with God so that you will count for the glory of God. This is God's heart for you. So a couple of weeks ago in chapter four, there's this guy, Sanballat and his buddies, and they were trying to discourage the builders, all of them collectively, but they failed. So now here in chapter six, they decide to change their tactics and focus their attacks on Nehemiah directly. Because Nehemiah is kind of the guy in charge who's leading this, who God's using to bring the people together. So let's read in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors and the city gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? 
Four times they sent the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. So these guys had already been trying to discourage Nehemiah and the builders, and now suddenly they're saying, hey, let's hang out, let's get together, let's talk. And at this point, we don't know what the letter contains, the details or the reasoning that how they're trying to lure Nehemiah away. But he recognizes that there's more going on. And it could even be the, the location that was kind of a signal to Nehemiah, this place of Ono, where it's 30 miles north of Jerusalem, which is quite a trek, and it's, it's at the border between the province, provinces of Samaria and Judah, away from any protection for Nehemiah. So when he senses danger, Nehemiah decides to say, oh no to oh no. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you laughed. I knew that was a bad dad joke, but <laughs> this is a great answer though. Even though it might come across as blunt, Nehemiah sees through their plans. He refuses their invitation four different times. He refuses to lose focus. He ignores the distractions that are coming at him. And this is tough. Because most distractions, like here in Nehemiah, they keep coming back. They're not usually just a one-time thing. They're persistent. They hang around. It's kind of like our phone notifications. If you don't answer it right away, it will bing again in a couple minutes. And then if you have it on silence, you still have those badges that show you, like you have one unread message, and it just hangs in the back of your mind. And once you see it, you're thinking, well, I should probably read the message and before long, I'm back on TikTok or scrolling through Facebook, and I'm like, how did I get here? But beyond technology, sometimes we're pressured by others to go along with something that we know is wrong. And sometimes friends have that, that influence over us, and they don't want to be the only ones going it alone, so they try and get you involved in it. This is why my parents always wanted to know where I was hanging out and who I was around because they knew that my circle of friends was going to influence my decision-making over time, for better or for worse. But Nehemiah persists in his refusal because he knows his priorities. I'm doing a great work. I have a great calling. God has assigned me this tremendous project, and if I leave, that project will be threatened. You see, sometimes distractions come disguised as harmless options or maybe even good things. And this is especially true, again, within church ministry because ministry is good, helping people is good, but we can't be all things to all people. We can't help everyone, and it's a struggle. We can't offer every ministry that other churches are even offering, but that's where we can come together as the body of Christ. But for us to try and do so would be to lose our focus in what God's called us to. You see, good things can be distractions too. But there are so many things that distract us from what's really important. The emails, the texts, the social media, the reading, TV, sports. And again, it comes as no surprise, I'm sure, that one of my greatest distractions is my phone. The beginning of this year, I started waking up every day at 5 a.m., and it was something that I wanted to get in the habit of doing to just set aside some alone time that I could have before the house woke up. And I would read, I would study, I would pray. 
and it was glorious. It came out of that series of how to pray. And then Doug Ford's last announcement that put us into that super strict lockdown, well, that just did me in. I, I was just like, there's no point anymore. I turned off my alarms, and I haven't turned it back on since. So that's kind of uh, humbling. But while I, what, what I'm admitting to you is that I've been distracted, especially when I begin to see the emails or the messages that I feel I need to respond to immediately. And unfortunately, when I start my morning that way, it sets my day on the wrong trajectory. When I start my day this way, I don't give God his proper place in my schedule, and sometimes I neglect meeting with him altogether. I'm working at trying to get my phone out of the bedroom, but it's so hard to just have it right there as my alarm and scroll through it. But one of the most helpful things that we can do to resist temptation is to remember that God has called each of us to a great task. And this is true of every believer of Jesus, that we are called to make a kingdom impact. We are called to make Jesus known so that lives and communities will be transformed. But it requires us connecting with God and putting him first. Starting your day out on the right foot. You see, to make a kingdom impact, it isn't about you doing more. It's about connecting with Jesus and living out the way of Jesus so that he will transform lives and communities. And sure, he might call you to get involved in ministry or to start a ministry or to help someone. But what he's calling each and every one of us to do is to live out of our relationship with Jesus. The best advice I received when I started in youth ministry was that your relationship with Jesus is your youth ministry. But I think that applies for all of us. Our relationship with Jesus is our ministry. That's what we have to offer the world to allow our relationship with him to impact what we do in this world. And that's why our vision to make Jesus known is to connect with God and others, to grow in our relationship with him and our understanding, to give back, to, to make an impact through our time, energies, resources, finances, and then to go where he is calling you or where he has placed you. And to continue, keep coming back, meeting together as the church, but then to go out and be the church. I recently read a story of a missionary in China whose abilities were so outstanding that an American company tried to hire him. So they offered him this attractive job with a salary to match, but he turned it down. And he thought that that would just put an end to it, but then they came back with a better offer and an increase in salary, and he turned that down too. But again, they came back and they doubled the financial package. So we finally said to them, it's not your salary that's too little, it's the job that's too small. I'm called to be a missionary to China. And I just, man, I love that kind of passion. And what's interesting is I've been reading articles on the, the upcoming generation, Gen Z, or also known as the Zoomers, and they're desperate for this kind of mission and impact in the workplace as well. They want to make an impact on the world. They want to be involved 
in a company, in a business that's making a difference. And I want to catch some of that, that passion and that zeal because as a church, we don't want to just make an impact for the sake of making an impact. We want to make an impact for Jesus, and we know that he will transform our world. So in her book, A Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins tells about a noted concert violinist who has asked the secret of her mastery of the instrument, and this is what she said. There are many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed, straightened the room, dusted, did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should, what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret to my success. And friends, in a similar way, we've been called to a great task and one that we have to prioritize or we'll be distracted from it. And I believe we need to start practicing some planned neglect of other things, even good things, so that we won't be distracted from God's best, what he has for you individually, as a couple, as a family, as a church. This is what Nehemiah does. He's involved in a great work, and he's not going to allow fear or flattery to distract him from God's best. So when Sanballat's plan to meet doesn't work, he reverts back to his original scheme of threats. So jumping into chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, Sanballat sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand. In it, it was written, it is reported among the nations, Shem agrees, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you're building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer together. So now they're trying to twist Nehemiah's arm, pressure him to yield to their request. But again, Nehemiah resists because he sees it for what it really is, it's lies. And did you notice that it was an open letter or in some translations, an unsealed letter? And in other words, they wanted this letter to be read by the messengers and others so that the word would travel, so that the lies would start to spread that Nehemiah was trying to make himself king. They're spreading gossip. And to give this lie credibility, Sanballat also noted, uh, notes that Geshem says it's true. He's trying to anchor the lie in other people of distinction. But as the saying goes, gossip is news, you have to hurry to tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. And Nehemiah can see right through it. He wasn't afraid, and he responds to them in three different ways. He denies the rumor, he prays to God for strength, and he gets back to work. I just love his determination. Look at verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Nehemiah doesn't get caught up in trying to disprove the accusation. He just gives a flat denial. That is a lie. There is no truth in it. 
And then, as was his practice and way of life, as we've seen, he responds in prayer. In verse 9, they're all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the works, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Man, I love this guy. He just, he knows who he is. Sanballat and his buddies, their tactics were to, to get people to think Nehemiah had some hidden motive, his own glory for rebuilding the wall, hoping the workers would become discouraged and quit. But instead, Nehemiah simply prays, Lord, don't let that happen. Strengthen me to work even harder. They were on the home stretch. They could see the finish line. The wall was almost complete. But oddly enough, this is usually when we're ready to give up. I think this is probably the most difficult time is you've been working hard. You've been pushing hard. And distractions come in right at the end. And it just seems the grass is greener on the other side. It's time to give up. But that's usually when we're about to see a breakthrough. I know, I think... I don't know who I heard this saying from, but they would always tell pastors, you're not allowed to quit on a Monday. And I know Steve Kerr's always said that he doesn't let any of his staff quit in June because that's when the end of a school year, the kids are miserable, the parents are miserable, the teachers are miserable. And I think there's just some truth to that, that when the distractions come, when we're tired, when we're so close to the finish line, that's when it can pull us aside even more. But Nehemiah didn't fall for it. He focused on the job that God had given him to do and trusted God to take care of his reputation. So once again, Sanballat switches his game plan when the previous one fails. And in verse 10, it says, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was restricted to his house. He said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. So what he says sounds logical. They're coming to kill you. Nehemiah believes it. He knows it. But there's something else that said that raises a flag for Nehemiah. Shemaiah says, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. And right away, Nehemiah immediately knows that he is not permitted inside the temple because that was only for priests, and Nehemiah is not a priest. So in other words, Nehemiah realizes that a prophet who is really from God wouldn't say something that would contradict God. Nehemiah has a good understanding of who he is, but also of who God is. He knows his place. He knows God. And knowing these things and having his priorities right, first things first, he had the courage to do what was right. You see, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's doing what's right no matter how afraid we are. So it's not just a matter of saying no to distractions. We have to first say yes to the right things so that our priorities will match with God's priorities. And as we continue to put first things first, we'll be able to deal with distractions the same way Nehemiah did. Verses 12 to 13 read, I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. 
Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated to do as he suggested, sin and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. This was all part of their plan to discourage and distract people from following Nehemiah's lead. And fueled by jealousy, these enemies slandered him and tried to trick him into yielding to their demands. I believe we have to be aware of these type of distractions as well. It's not easy, but don't let anyone or anything distract you from God's priorities and his plan for your life. The best response to such a thing is what Nehemiah uses here. A deep sense of identity as a believer of Yahweh. And for us, as a follower of Jesus, the Son of God, Nehemiah says, should a man like me run and hide and try to save his life by wrong approaches and unlawful practices? Again, he's leaning upon his firm understanding of who he is and, and what his priorities are. He's a believer in the living God and knows that he can trust God to protect him. So Nehemiah responds to this attack by going to prayer again in verse 14. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat for what they have done and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. And this brings us to the end of this first phase of Nehemiah, of his work, because in verses 15 and 16, it says the wall was completed in 52 days, on the 25th day of the month Elul. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Even their enemies had to admit that God was at work. This entire project was completed in 52 days. And I just think that that's a beautiful picture of the power of Christian witness within community. To see that when we collectively practice following the way of Jesus, the impact that we can have on a community. Even their enemies had to admit that God was at work among them. But the story's not over. In the closing verses of chapter 6, we see that Nehemiah's enemies are not done yet. Even though they acknowledge that God was at work among them, Nehemiah's enemies chose to continue their tactics of opposing and distracting. And friends, I think this is one of the overriding truths of this book, that the devil never quits. He's not giving up. To live life to the fullest, we have to follow and stay close to Jesus. As we practice the way of Jesus, we are going to face opposition. We're going to face discouragement and distraction. But I assure you that life with Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. Because you see, he created it. He designed it. He created you and me. So to live with him is to live a life of joy, of encouragement and confidence so that we can face whatever life throws at us. And I can't keep getting Brian out of my mind thinking of his baptism up here. And meanwhile, he's wanting to profess his faith in Jesus and say, I'm a changed man. And he's having one thing after another. The devil never quits. The enemy of God will never quit. 
And if he can't distract you with fear and flattery, he will use gossip and false accusations and whatever else he can do to make you lose focus. But you see, the closer you are to Jesus, the more you'll be able to see through it all. So as I wrap up tonight, let's ask God to apply this message to our lives. And first, practice saying yes to God's priorities. As one pastor puts it, the best way to not be distracted is by being attracted to those things that are on the heart of God. But to know the heart of God requires spending time with him in prayer, through reading his word, in fellowship with other believers. But then the second thing is to practice saying no to the devil's distractions. And I don't know what your distractions are. I believe it will be different for each of us. But let's take a moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit to help, help us identify those things that are distracting us from God's priorities, from putting first things first. And it might even be good things. But if it's getting in the way of God being first in your life, then it's not that great. It may be a friend, an activity, money, possessions, your thought life, career, etc. But when the Spirit makes it clear, decide how you can begin saying no to those things that are derailing you from what's most important. So let's just take a moment of silence now to pray and ask God to speak to us, and then I'll lead us into communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, and for the relationship that you offer us. Lead us into a life of joy, of confidence, and of love. I pray that we draw close to you this week. And avoid the distractions that are trying to derail us that we can make an impact in this world for your glory. We do this now in remembrance of you.